O God of grace, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The disciples were confused, distraught even. As they gathered for that Passover meal with Jesus, Jesus begins to tell them that he's leaving them. Now the disciples had given up everything to follow Jesus. They thought that he was the one, the redeemer, the Messiah of Israel. And now seemingly suddenly he's telling them that he's leaving them. You're leaving us? What are you talking about, Jesus? Can you imagine how these disciples felt that night? We might also imagine how Jesus felt on this final night with his disciples. Clearly he was at pains to impart to them a final teaching and to prepare them for this transition that was about to happen. The first thing that Jesus does that night is wash the disciples' feet as an example to them of humility and service. The next thing he does is give them a new commandment. They love one another as he has loved them. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples, through love and service. Jesus also wants them to know that he's not going to leave them orphans. The Holy Spirit will come to you, he says. And he offers them his peace. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In this final sermon in the Gospel of John, Jesus is really giving them everything that was his. He says, all that is mine is now yours. I give you my word, my love, I give you my peace, even my name. Jesus tells them several times in this, in this sermon on this final night, now you can pray for things in my name. Ask for things in my name and I will do it for you. What a great gift this is that Jesus gives to these disciples and to all of us. His name. This may be a more powerful gift than we often imagine. A few weeks ago, I was getting an acupuncture session for some tension in the neck and shoulders. And before she put the needles in, she had a tuning fork, which I wasn't really expecting. So she hit the tuning fork and put it on my back. I was like, oh. It was surprisingly soothing, actually to have this tuning fork vibrating on my back. And I found that pretty interesting, so I asked her about it. And she said, well, yeah, the tuning fork sends a vibration through your body that kind of brings your body into harmony. It helps to relieve some stress. And I found that whole thing pretty fascinating. So I started to think about that, a vibration that can heal people. And I realized that a lot of healing modalities are actually based on that premise. I practice Reiki a little bit, which is a Japanese healing modality. And in Reiki, the premise is there's energy in and all around us. And you can actually help to bring someone else's energy into harmony, to even change the vibration that's going on in their body. Now, sometimes I tell people this and they give me a kind of look like I just walked off a hippie commune. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but actually, this is quite a scientific idea as well. Modern physics tells us that everything is made up of vibrations of energy. The whole universe is, in a sense, a symphony of these vibrations at various levels that makes up the life that we know. Truly an extraordinary and profound thing. So vibrations is all, are all around us, and as humans, we have this power to affect the vibrations around us, 
through what we do and what we say. And some people have even tried to document this in experiments. And there's one in particular that I found quite interesting that I want to share with you this morning. Some of you may have heard of this one. It's a water crystal experiment. So there's this man in Japan named Dr. Emoto. And he did this experiment um, where he had a lot of words in Japanese written. Words like love, faith, courage, and also some negative words like hate and anger. And he had these words taped to different jars of water, one word for each jar. Then shortly after that, he froze the water and took pictures of the water. Each word produced a different sort of crystal in the water. So these are a few pictures of the crystals. This was the word for wisdom. Aquiracy as well. This was the word for earth. So the crystals have some similarities, but each one is unique. One of the interesting things was the words for hate and anger and negative words produce a chaotic picture. No clear crystal. So part of what Dr. Emoto says with this is humans are made up of two-thirds water. So pay attention to what you say and the words you use. <laughs> right? um, and there's some scientific debate about this study, whether people have been able to replicate it exactly. But truly it points out a deep truth about our human experience. Our words really matter and really have an impact. This is not a new idea, this is a deeply biblical idea. Jesus says, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. It's one of the profound teachings in Christianity, your words matter. In the Gospel of John, from which our reading comes today, the whole Gospel even begins, in the beginning was the Word, capital W. All things came into being through the Word. So this power we have as humans through our words is a piece of the divine power, the power that brought everything into existence. Quite profound. No wonder in the Bible when people are named, it's very important, very meaningful. Names always have a meaning in the Bible. And at certain key points, major figures in the Bible actually have a change of name at a pivotal moment. When Abram is called by God, he becomes Abraham the father of many nations. His wife Sarai becomes Sarah. Later Abraham's grandson Jacob is wrestling with an angel at the river. Very interesting story. And at the end of that night the angel leaves him with a new name, Israel. We see also when Jesus is calling his disciples, he calls Simon and gives him a new name, Peter. And indeed, Saul, who had been persecuting the Christian church, when he has his conversion to Christianity, he becomes Paul. So at these key moments, these figures get a new name, and it's not just something new that they're being called. It's a new character. It's even a new destiny. And Jesus' culture, a name was more than just a word. Indeed, it was your destiny. I wondered at times, if I was born with a different name, would I be a different person? there be a different pattern in the water? As Jesus is giving this final sermon to his disciples, there comes a moment where he turns from talking to them and begins to pray to God in front of them. We've, this is truly an intimate moment between Jesus and the disciples and God. He turns to God and says, I have made your name known to them. Protect them in your name that you have given me. Not only is Jesus giving the disciples his peace, his word, he's even giving them his relationship with God. 
He's inviting them into this intimacy, into this name. He's giving them his name. What a powerful thing to be given the name of Christ. In my own life, uh, I became a Christian in a kind of self-aware way in college. And I think back on my days in high school, some of the things that I struggled with. Um, my dad wasn't around, my parents were divorced, and my dad lived in a different state. And I think in some ways that affected my kind of confidence and sense of identity. Um, so I often had the sense that I wasn't really sure who I was, I wasn't sure who to be around other people. And another thing I remember from those times is I lived in apartment complexes, kind of lower middle class neighborhood, and I always had the sense that to be respected by the other boys, I had to be willing to fight. A lot of boys walked around with a chip on their shoulder. And so there was always this kind of feeling of an imminent threat that you might be threatened, you might be taken advantage of, you might have to fight somebody. And I carried that around as a real burden. It really wasn't something that was good for me. But I kind of unconsciously bought into this idea that to be respected, you have to be willing to use violence. So when I became a Christian, a whole lot of things changed in my life. One thing that happened is I started to feel a new sense of forgiveness toward my dad for not being around as much as I thought he should have. I also remember this moment sitting at this party at Overland College. And in a situation like that, I might have often been, you know, I might have been having a good time, but I might have been kind of self-conscious, trying to impress this or that person or this girl or whatever. <laughs> but I sat there and I had this feeling suddenly, who, I, who am I in this moment? I'm a Christian. And this profound feeling came over me of being settled in that. Being settled in who I was and being filled with this joy about it. It's no longer this question or this burden that I carry. The name of Christ was beginning to change me. Also, I remember a dream that I had that year that I'll never forget. In this dream, someone had stolen something from me and I was really angry about it. So I went to confront this person, and in the dream I was even willing to fight this person. And then suddenly, these two eyes in the dream were just staring and penetrating right into me. The eyes of Jesus were staring at me in this dream. And everything else in the dream, this person and this feeling I was about to fight, just became obliterated. It was like Jesus was cutting through all that. And it made me realize, and it really changed me. This whole thing about fighting or being power, powerful through violence is nonsense. Jesus' way is the way of peace, which is far more powerful than any human violence, regardless of what the world may say. And so this burden that I had been carrying around suddenly was gone. I was being changed. There was a new pattern in my life. There was a new pattern in the water. I had been given the name of Christ. And one thing that I was doing a lot of in those days was reading the Bible. I had this goal to read six pages a day. And I think that practice in particular was having a big effect on me. I was keeping the word, I was clinging to the word every day, and it was changing me. And of course this is an ongoing process, and I've actually felt a kind of resurgence of this lately in my spiritual life, um, getting more into the Episcopal Church, becoming an Episcopalian, and doing the daily office of prayers. Uh, I had an experience recently uh, with my car that was very frustrating. My car wouldn't pass the smog test. <laughs> I spent $700 on it to get it to pass the smog test. Uh, and then it turned out, well now the, it's passing the emissions, but the engine light is on, so it still fails. 
<laughs> that was a very frustrating day. So I went home that day just feeling really mad, you know. And I sat down to do the evening prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. And I tell you, after that, I felt like a completely different person. I went from being in the state of being frustrated, mad, kind of in a cursing sort of mind, to feeling very at peace, very blessed, you know, and 10 or 15 minutes later. So keeping the word in my life and clinging to the word and the prayers is still changing me, it's still changing the pattern in my life. And so I just want to witness to you today how this has affected me. Keeping the word, keeping the name, can really change you profoundly. So, I brought the Bible out here today. Now, whether you read the Bible a little or not much or a whole lot, I think all of us can lean into our practice of Bible reading. And the, let's face it, this can be kind of an intimidating book, right? There's a lot going on in this book. <laughs> like I said, what worked for me was reading six pages a day. I started from the New Testament. So whatever the practice is, I encourage you to think about this, prioritize this. Even if it's just a few pages a day in the Psalms or the New Testament, this can have a profound effect. I know from personal experience. The name of Christ can change our lives. It can change the pattern in our lives. One thing that I actually found very interesting about the water crystal experiment was he said that the quality of the water also mattered. If you use pure water, you get the purest crystal. Now, if you use dirty water, it doesn't work out so well. So as I think about that, what do I bring to the word? What I bring to it can make a difference. Maybe bring this purity of intention to the word in reading the Bible and coming to worship and a willingness to be changed, to have the patterns in our life be changed. And also, may we try to bring a regularity to it, a discipline. Keep God's word. Jesus says in this final sermon in John, those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Keeping God's word changes us. It's like a tuning fork that puts us into tune with the divine. So I ask you today, how does the name of Christ and how does God's word change you? How does it change the patterns in your life? How does it change your destiny? May God's joy and God's peace be ours. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.